Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Welcome to the Post Traumatic Survival Podcast, a show that helps you rewire your brain to survive and thrive. Join your host, Ozzy Martinez Jr., a Marine, a combat disabled vet, husband, and father, as he shares his firsthand knowledge and experience of hitting rock bottom, almost ending it all, and then turning it around. Dive into the rewired minds of thriving survivors. This show is an in-depth look at post-traumatic survival. And now, Ozzy. What's up, ladies and gentlemen? Thank you so much for joining. Thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you so much for everybody that has believed in me throughout this whole little process on starting this podcast. And I'm super excited. I'm super excited to be talking about a subject that is uh, it's stigmatized, a subject that nobody wants to talk about, mental health. Uh, finally now, though, you know, it's starting to affect the mainstream uh, individuals, I guess. And, and, and now it's becoming more more of a talked about subject, but it's still, it's still not something that people want to talk about. Nobody wants to say, you know, they have a mental health issue. Nobody wants to say that they have PTSD. They're scared. They're scared of what people are going to think. They're scared of, uh, all the stigma that has been put behind it. And honestly, they're scared because, uh, individuals are, are, I don't want to sound rude, but are uneducated, uh, or they just, believe you know they they, they've been taught something else before and the only thing they've ever heard is that because you have ptsd you're crazy you know and you have some problems and you know i started this show to to go ahead and and show that that is not true to break that stigma i want i i wanted to start the show to bring different individuals to the spotlight individuals that have hit rock bottom after you know going through traumatic events in their life and have turned themselves around. I want to interview individuals that haven't hit rock bottom, but have just been through a traumatic event and have made themselves even stronger after that. So that's what the show's about. This show is, I mean, it says it right there in the name post-traumatic survival. And it says it in our little key phrase, you know, we're, we're here to rewire your brain to survive and thrive. So I'm super excited, and I'm not going to waste more time, you know, jabbing on it right now. I'm just going to go ahead and deep dive into it because this, this honestly is going to be possibly my my hardest episode ever, my first episode because I'm not interviewing anybody. I'm sort of going to be interviewing myself. I have a bunch of uh, notes that I have here written down, and I'm going to go ahead and go through these notes so I could go through a time a timeline that I have set up. But I'm also going to give my two cents in between this timeline that is my life and uh, how it's gotten us to where we're at right now. So let's go ahead and start off with what is post-traumatic stress disorder, also known as PTSD. Well, according to the National Institute of Mental Health, PTSD can develop after exposure to potentially traumatic event that is beyond a typical stressor. Events that may lead to PTSD include, but are not limited to, natural or human-caused disasters, accidents, violent personal assaults, and other forms of violence. Exposure to events like these are common. About one half of U.S. 
adults will experience at least one traumatic event in their lives, but most do not develop PTSD. Now, according to the Veterans Administration, there are some factors that can increase the chance that someone will have PTSD. For example, having a very intense or long-lasting traumatic event or getting injured during the event can make it more likely that a person will develop PTSD. Now, in that little phrase there that the VA has on their website that says, having a very long, intense or long-lasting traumatic event, you're more likely to develop PTSD. We honestly should include in that the fact that we have uncompressed trauma stored in our body as veterans, first responders, anybody that has gone through a traumatic event and has to suppress that so that they could get back to work. That's not good for the body. It is really bad. It's really bad. Science has shown that unresolved slash uncleared emotions are stored in a specific part of our body. It is where the gut feeling process comes from. It is an instinctive response to the fear or warning. So, if we're, if we're like, you know, compressing this inside ourselves and we have the, what's called this unprocessed trauma stored in our body because we have to get back to work and then we get back to work and we experience more trauma and we have to compress that one up. What happens to an individual that goes through this process over and over and over and over on a repeated basis, in some cases for months 24 hours a day, like in my case, and in many other veterans' cases, or in some cases like first responders, that they're doing this for a career. They're doing this for 20 years, 20-plus 20 years. What happens when, when all of a sudden that, that job is over, the need for you to you know, suppress this trauma or keep it away, store it up, is now that need for you to, to store it is gone because your job is gone and that part of your life is gone. And now what happens when that box, that box opens up and all these feelings start coming out and it, it just hits you. It, it hits you like a, like, like a, I don't know <laughs> my an analogy that I had. And uh, you'll hear me saying my story is I had an elephant sitting on my chest and on my back on both places. I felt pressure coming in on both sides. And when I finally educated myself and finally learned what was really my problem, I felt like these two elephants had just gotten up and I'd taken my, my first breath of fresh air. And I believe that that was part of me releasing this unprocessed trauma that I just had stored in my body. So it's so huge that we talk about it. And if we don't talk about it, at least hear someone else talk about it so that you feel you're not alone. But definitely you have to talk about it. <laughs> Um, you just can't store it in. Uh, you have to be able to, to, to release that. And unfortunately, like I said, in some of our jobs, we, depending on your, you know, your, the line you're in, and in my case, the Marine Corps, we, we didn't have time to, we didn't have time to, to go ahead and, and talk about it really that much. I remember, I mean, one of the most, worst things ever was for, for our unit in 2004 in Fallujah. We lost our Lieutenant that was uh, for second platoon. We, we deployed as a company and we lost uh, the second platoon commander, Lieutenant Weatherby on September 12th to an ID, uh, a roadside bomb. And literally the next day we lost three more guys in our company. 
and we lost, you know, Lance Corporal Puckett. We lost Corporal Soltau and Corporal uh, Meloat. And we didn't have time to compress. We didn't have some, we didn't have time to to release that that whatever whatever we had just processed, which honestly for some individuals was a lot. You know, for others it wasn't as much. But for some individuals that, that were there when all of this happened on the 13th, it, it, was, it, it was incredible. It was crazy. It was moving from one location to another to try to medevac your wounded. You already knew you had some individuals that definitely didn't survive. And, I mean, the whole time that this was going on, you know, these Marines were getting shot at. And... Right after that, we had to go back to work. You know, the whole company had to go back to work. Uh, it was maybe a, a memorial service You that they try to help you, you know, get it out. But it's, it's a day. It's five minutes. And then get back to work. So that's just one of the main reasons why I started this podcast. And uh, I want to go ahead and just go ahead and deep dive to my story. You just heard a little brief portion of it that I was in Fallujah in 04. So I did serve in the Marine Corps from 2002 to 2006. I was an assault amphibious vehicle crewman. Yeah, yes, for all my brothers and sisters out there, now that we have females in the MOS. I did deploy to Iraq in 2004 with 3rd Assault Amphibious Battalion Alpha Company. We were there from February, uh, late February to October. And I deployed uh, once again in 2005 with... Uh, Attached to to two one, I was a part of uh, Third Tracks Echo Company. Once again, goes part of that whole unprocessed trauma stored in the body. I I remember getting back from Fallujah in October, and we went on a thirty day leave. Uh, went on leave, came back to my unit, and when I came back to my unit, I found out that twelve of us had been selected to go to Echo Company and deploy again. Literally. Six months later, you know, we had just gotten back. So now we went to a different uh, unit within our battalion. This company deployed as a platoon, not as a company of men, which is was at the time, you know, close to 200 individuals. Almost. We deployed a even smaller unit as 54, a platoon of, uh, of Marines. And we trained with uh, 2-1. We got real attached to this infantry unit. We worked the whole, we did the whole workups together, fixed six months of workups, and then deployed on a, on a Mew, the Marine Expeditionary Unit, for those that don't know, we deployed on a Westpac. And while we were on deployment on the ship, we actually, 2-1, got requested. And we had gotten requested for to, to assist in the voting in Iraq in 2005. So we went ahead and we went into, into Kuwait, drove up to, to Iraq, and started working. Unfortunately, we did get separated from our infantry unit. We were put in a different, we were used for different uh, situations and different uh, purposes. And the infantry people that we had worked so close with uh, took a real hard hit that deployment after, you know, we had just taken a big hard hit in 2004. So once again, it goes to that whole purpose that I talk about that depending on your, your field, your PTSD, I feel is going to be even, even stronger, even harder. It's going to hit you harder when it does hit you. So I got back from that deployment in 2006. A few months later, I got out of the, the Marine Corps in, in that same year, 2006. I moved back to Miami. 
I thought I had put the Marine Corps behind me. Literally, I packed it all up in a sea bag <laughs> and I uh, threw it all in uh, the closet, the shed, wherever, you, the, 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 the garage, wherever it is that we go ahead and throw, you know, we think we pack it all up and throw it away and forget about it. And I started living my fast life here in Miami. My, I tell everybody Miami's a treadmill. You can't, you can't just show up here and stand still and look at the place. You got to show up here and start running because it's a fast city. It's a fast-paced life. And I moved back to Miami in 2006, and like I said, thought I, w- I was done with it. I didn't, I didn't want to PT or, you know, physical train anymore. I didn't want to work out. I didn't want to – I didn't shoot. I didn't go to a rifle range. I didn't even own a rifle at the time. Uh, I didn't do anything that was Marine Corps related. I honestly tried not to. And I, I thought it was over. I was living fast life. I was going out with my friends, hanging out, making up for the four years I was gone. And in 2008, I received, I was amongst a large group of uh, corporals and sergeants that received the reactivation letters from the inactive reserves. And, you know, we went to Kansas City. I'll never forget. uh, There was a briefing that we had to attend. It was over a weekend. And it's a bunch of guys that had just (laughs) been out for a while. A bunch of us were overweight. Uh, Not definitely nobody was under Marine Corps standards there, I believe. A bunch of us with beards and stuff. So, we got to this briefing and we're told that, you know, uh, we had just been reactivated because all of us were corporals and sergeants that had multiple deployments uh, to to Iraq or Afghanistan. And our purpose was we were going to go to Af- Afghanistan and train Afghan forces for a year. And I'll never forget. It was like it was like uh, the Peanuts show on TV when we we're little kids that when the adults talk, all you hear is wah, 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 wah. After a while, I was just like, just turning my head and zoning him out. And this is a colonel talking to us, by the way. Sergeant Major had come out and the colonel. And it's a legitimate, you know, we're all sitting down, but it's a formation. They're trying to make it as Marine Corps as possible for us to not give us this shock because we're all out, but we're still part of the inactive reserve, you know. So I'll never forget it. I... I get told, you know, get given our orders and stuff, and I get told that I have a month to to have my my affairs in order before I have to go and report to my new unit in uh, Camp Lejeune, North Carolina. And we deploy to we'll get, we'll get like some little refresher course, I guess, or something, and we'll go. We're going to Afghanistan, and I got to tell you that that was the worst month of my life. Like I had said, you heard you hear me said earlier, I packed up all my my emotions, my Marine Corps memories, everything, even the individuals as sad as this sounds right now, even the individuals that I lost, my brothers that I lost, I, I packed all that away and I stored it in the bag because I guess the Marine Corps in me was trying to teach me and and, and keep keep me safe and say, Hey man, you gotta store all this away because Miami's a fast-paced city. You got no time to dwell. We got to get on it. And this month, now that I started looking at these next 30 days when I got back to Miami and I have this letter, I have to give my employer that I'm going to be leaving uh, and they, they can't fire me and stuff. So uh, I have this letter and it, it's hitting me more and more. And I have these 30 days ahead of me. And I say that first week I started having real bad nightmares, real real bad uh intrusive memories it just 
the memories would come at me during the day. It, it was no longer now when I was sleeping. It was people would talk to me and I don't know, uh, I would be walking by a dumpster or, or the smell of trash or something would come at me and immediately I'd be back in Iraq, you know, um, kind of like I know they're in front of me, but I'm daydreaming of a memory of, a, of going on patrol and maybe the first, you know, little ID we heard go off or something. And I just started having anxiety attacks. I started having panic attacks. I started then drinking uh, to try to calm this down. But I was drinking during the day. That was real bad. So I couldn't, I couldn't stop replaying these patrols in my head, even though I, I knew I wasn't going to be over there, or at least I assumed we were, I was believing what the Marine Corps told me at the time that we were going to go over there and train Afghan forces. I, I, I couldn't stop thinking about what I already had done and what I already had survived. I, I remember my first deployment, I was used a lot for uh, vehicle checkpoints or VCPs. And I, I was able to learn, you know, Arabic very well. And I, I conducted these vehicle checkpoints. I would speak in Arabic. I would ask where they were going, where they where they came from, where they're going to. If I could search their vehicles, if they had any weapons, I would tell them to open their trunks, their hoods, to please come out. All of this was conducted in Arabic. At the same time, that all of this, I didn't have a rifle on me because um, it was very uncomfortable to have a rifle on you and open doors and ask individuals to get out. It's very you were very close to these individuals. So I had. Other Marines with me at the time that had rifles, we did have guardian angels, what they were called guardian angels on the side of the road, hidden, aiming towards the middle where I was checking these vehicle vehicles. And if at any point something were to go on, I felt scared or something, I would say a code word into our little intercom system that we would have, little headsets that weren't connected to the outside, but just between us. And I would, my, my thing was I was supposed to throw myself to the ground and they'd shoot. And, um... You know, to this day, all of these memories were, to that day, all those memories were now starting to replay in my head. Like, wow, you could have died here. You could have died there. Oh, uh, you could have died on that one. And this one was real scary. I'll never forget. And it just became an obsessive thing in me. I couldn't stop thinking about my potential death going to Afghanistan. And I couldn't take it anymore. I'd say like on week two, and I went to the VA, which I hadn't gone to the whole time I had been out. And I found out about the what was called the OIF, OEF clinic, Operation Iraqi Freedom, Operation Enduring Freedom Clinic. And I went into the clinic and I asked for help. You know, I filled out the paperwork, asked for help and started my process. Uh, little did I know that this would actually eventually give me a rating or make me diagnosed as PTSD at the same time. Um, making me non-deployable. You know, my whole purpose behind going to the VA wasn't to try to get out of this deployment because I didn't know I could get out of this deployment. The reality was now I realized this was now affecting me. I couldn't control it and I needed to get it fixed because all we ever heard was in 2004 was complacency kills. And to me, the opposite of complacency just being feeling comfortable is feeling extremely uncomfortable. And that's where I was at the total opposite now. And I was feeling extremely uncomfortable and I, there was no way I could go to deploy feeling like this. So I wanted to get fixed so I could deploy. Like I said, little did I know that I would become undeployable because of being diagnosed with PTSD. But 
after going to the VA, I was, like I said, diagnosed for, for having PTSD. And I started, I started now going to treatment. I started now trying to, trying to fix something. I, I still wasn't looking at the problem. I was just fixing it. I was, so it's hard to fix a problem. You don't know what, what it actually really is. And I was trying to go on their meds. I was trying to go to their treatment and then some of their treatment wasn't working. I, I, I just wasn't, it wasn't doing good. And I wasn't doing good with the meds because I was drinking and, uh, I was trying to to hold a job at the time and that wasn't, that wasn't going well at all. So I'll, I'll never forget, you know, uh, going into the VA and asking for more help because I, I felt that the help I wasn't, I wasn't getting the help I was getting wasn't enough. And I tried to apply for what's called unemployability where, it's, you know, you get put on this for the time being while you're able to fix yourself, I guess, better and, you know, get a job and stuff. And the VA went ahead and, and bumped my disability up to a 100%, you know, disabled for post-traumatic stress disorder. I remember reading that paperwork. It sounded so bad. Once again, I was uneducated at really what I was looking at in the mirror. It, it made me sound horrible. It made me sound like I was the Hulk. Uh, it made me sound scary at some points. And at least that's the way I took it. And it was, it was, it was incredible that during this whole time frame, I was still able to try to chase the fact that I, I wanted to love and I wanted to be loved. And, and, you know, I was able to, to meet my wife, which we had dated 10 years before, before the Marine Corps and everything. So she knew a totally different me. And uh, we ran into each other again in 2010, you know, and, it was it was incredible. We picked up. It was almost like we picked up where we took off, where we left off in ten years prior when we were younger. You know, the only difference was that I did tell her. Uh, she, she at the beginning, I was you know quiet about what I did for work and stuff because I wasn't working, and and you know I eventually told her, hey, you know I'm I am a hundred percent disabled for PTSD. I don't want you to be scared. I'm not crazy, and you know this and that, but. Little did she know really, you know, the, the, the problems or the, the symptoms, the issues that I had, the unresolved issues that I had, because I still wasn't looking at it for real face to face. I still didn't know what I had. So we end up getting married in January of 2011. And I find out in May of 2011 that a buddy of mine that I had deployed with twice, uh, Sergeant Buchanan, had taken his life. And I struggled with that news. Uh, I struggled real bad with it because, you know, you hear about all these side effects the medications have. Uh, some of them have uh, uh, persistence, thoughts of suicide. And you're like, are you kidding me? But I'm taking this pill because I'm depressed. So uh, I started just not working and just being at home all the time was real bad for me. I would, I would never leave. And my wife was, is a teacher, so she would go to work and I'd stay at home and I'd start drinking and I'd start thinking, how does this happen? How does it come to you? Do you just wake up one morning and just want to kill yourself? Do you, the, does it just like literally just snap? Do you watch something on TV or is it the medication? Is it you? Um, what is it? So I, it's, I started obsessing on it and, and, and drinking myself to depression on it. And July of that year of 2011, my first son was born. Brought a little bit of happiness to my life. I'm, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not even going to lie to you right now. 
I had been drinking the night before my son was born and I would take my medications even though I was drinking. And I remember my wife struggled waking me up because how knocked out I was. And that's the only way that I was ever able to go to sleep, to knock myself out. And, you know, that night she struggled waking me up. I was able to get her to the hospital, though, and it brought, like I said, brought happiness to my life. But unfortunately, I still spiraled down and my wife just, you know, it it wasn't right. It wasn't right for me to put my wife through that. And, you know, one day we had a real long talk and um, at the end of the the end of conversation, I ended up uh, packing my bags and, and moving out. Uh, I pushed everybody out of my life. I stopped driving. I didn't want to deal with anybody anymore. And I ended up, you know, moving into a place by myself. I, I started, I started a a spiral. Uh, uh, You'll hear me talk about it. Uh, You know, I'm sure later on in conversations with uh, some of our guests, you know, this, what I call it's a, it's a slide on an endless pit going down. And uh, I started that, I started that slide and I started drinking, I started abusing my drugs, my medications, and then I started abusing drugs. I started, uh, started to abuse cocaine because I was constantly so drunk, and then uh, I didn't want to be too drunk during the day. I wanted to be able to sleep at night, so it was it was just a disaster. Uh, I'll never forget one day just laying in my in my bed, and I saw my heart just beating over my you know over my rib cage. I felt like it was just about to rip out. And I just couldn't. I couldn't take it anymore. And uh, I started that day after praying every day that, um, you know, that God would end my life because I didn't have the nerve to commit suicide. I didn't want to be that guy. Um, plus, you know, I had had a young young son, and I would get him on the weekends, and I didn't want my body to be found like that. So I just wanted it to be an accident, you know. And I prayed every day to end my life. And I'll never forget, I, I got a call in August of 2014 from my gunnery sergeant, which is a, you know, it's, it's, one, it's a supervisor in, in the military. It's, a, it's, a, it's a, one of your managers, you could say. And I got a call stating, hey, man, uh, you know, Martinez, we're doing a reunion to, in September of 2014 next month to mark the 10-year anniversary of Fallujah and of us losing our guys. I was wondering if you wanted to go. And I'm like, yeah, man. You know, at first I, I didn't want to, but then uh, I let him convince me and I, I did end up going, which I thank God every day. This was him answering me right here. This was him. I asked for him to end my life, that this life I'm living right now. And he did that. He, he went ahead and he didn't give me death, but he gave me a chance to, to I guess, look finally and realize that I wasn't alone, you know? So I, re- I end up now realizing that I believe one of the main main things that that really affects us is the unprocessed trauma us having to store all this trauma away for such a long time and do our job and never then being able to talk about it and then the second thing i really think affects us a lot is when we come home we we feel alone we we don't we feel society doesn't understand us our family at home doesn't understand us. Our friends that were our friends before we joined service or before you became a first responder or before you were, you know, through trauma that they didn't experience that trauma with you. They, those friends don't understand you. 
And in my case, I would look on social media and try to see the the guys that I served with and to see, I don't know, to, to hopefully see that they were doing as bad as I was. And I would only see how great their lives were, which was all a lie. You know, they were, most of them are in the same position I was, um, maybe not as bad as I was asking God to end their life, but you know, at one point in time, they were that dark. They thought about it. They just thought about life ending because they were so unhappy with it. So I went to this reunion, and in this reunion, I remember bringing up the conversation a few times about the dark darkness of, of what we're going through. And I remember guys talking, saying, yeah, man, me too. And uh, I feel that way as well. And, you know, actually, mine's worse, or, you know, this has happened to me and, and whatnot. And so many conversations came out that would have never come out on social media, that would have never have come out other than finally, you know, having the nerve to, I guess, me ask some of these questions and talk about it. And that's where, that's that moment right there where I felt those two elephants get off my chest and my back and I took that breath. And I remember coming back from that reunion, super excited. Uh, I was quiet that whole reunion. I remember taking pictures of everybody that whole reunion, you know, I tried documenting as much as possible. And, uh, and in it, you see some people took pictures of me and I'm just quiet, you know, sitting over there. Cause I was trying to process everything. Everything had just hit me like, Oh my God, dude, you are not alone. Which was, I think my biggest thing that I, I really felt so alone that I wanted to not exist anymore because I felt nobody understood me. Not even the, the, the guys that I had served with. So, I was trying to process all this. And then in that, in that thought process, I'm trying to also think, how can, how can, how can this reunion be mimicked? <laughs> so how can we do this again? And, and uh, I remember speaking to one of the guys that was at the reunion, uh, PJ O'Malley, and we were talking about our dark times. And I guess we both realized how great that reunion felt. And at, in that reunion, we, we, we were also trying to figure out if, we were, if it was possible to buy the campsite we were at <laughs> because it was for sale. It was over $2 million, but we, we knew that that reunion was so helpful on, on day three, day four. that we, we already knew that we wanted to. I remember PJ saying it. He was like, man, how cool would it be to just buy this campsite and then we could you know, rent it out to different units so that they could reunite as a whole unit together and and talk about their stuff. And that stuck with me. I, I came back, came back home to Miami from that reunion, a different person. I asked my wife that hadn't divorced me at the time. So we got separated. We had been separated for over two years and we still weren't divorced. And I told her she had to go to therapy with me. That I had a breakthrough, she did. I spoke to my therapist. I told him what happened. My therapist, you know, told me, you just realized you're not alone. And uh, I eventually, like about a month after that, in November of 2014, we got back together. So I, I literally went from wanting to die that year and asking God to end my life. And I kind of got answered. He ended that life that I was going through. But what I mean he ended was he ended that that sorrow that I had, that 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 labeling myself the... The un, he these blinders I had to not want to educate myself, because my life still maintained the same. I still have some. I still have symptoms. I still have issues every day. I just now deal with them differently because I finally looked in the mirror, and when I looked in the mirror, I saw myself, but more importantly, I saw individuals behind me that looked like me that 
felt like me. I no longer felt alone. And it was amazing. So I, I wanted to reproduce this. And I'll never forget, I was fishing one day with my best friend. And it came to me that I could do that in the back of a boat with Operation Wet Vet. Through. So I started an organization on June 1st of 2015. June specifically, because that's PTSD Awareness Month. And I started Operation Wet Vet, and it was a success. It uh, took off fast, still maintained it as a small organization. We're still a small organization. We're gonna, our hopes are to always keep it like that. There's so many other organizations out there that there's no reason for us to be the big dog, the big organization, the only one that takes guys fishing. No, I mean, there's so much ocean out there that, it's impossible for me to be the only one. So um, I just kind of like staying in my lane and, and, and doing what I wanted to do. So which was taking combat veterans offshore fishing. And that's what we did. That's what we do. And then uh, I got to meet an individual named Sean Lopez in one of these fishing trips. And, you know, he you'll, you'll hear hopefully, you know, you'll you'll hear our interview later and uh, next few episodes. I'm not sure which one because I have a list here of individuals to to interview that we have so far 10 people that have said, yes, I'm in, you got me. We got Sean Lopez, Jason Redman, Ray cash care, uh, Steven Diaz. I, I mean, just right there. I named two Marines and two Navy seals, all of them combat veterans, all of them badasses, And all of them are, are surviving and thriving. And, and I really mean thriving. So, uh, very excited about this, but, uh, Sean, you know, Sean, uh, took him fishing and Sean told me, Hey man, uh, you should, you should go to this overcome Academy that, you know, Jason Redmond does. And it, it helps individuals that are kind of like stuck where they're at. And I was, I was stuck at the time. I was, like I said, the PTSD in me was still very strong. I was very hypervigilant. People would approach me for offers and, and, and try to, want to expand operation with vet operation wet vet or do other things. And I was just very hesitant because I would always see the, try to see the bad things in it and try to prevent them. And, and it was trying to control things that were uncontrollable and the hypervigilance in me was just really bad. So he, you know, he asked, he told me to go to this overcome Academy and I went to it. And let me tell you that that was the biggest life changing event for me. It was, it was incredible. I, I, I learned to overcome ev all the issues I had where I was letting them take over. And, and like, like I said, the hypervigilance, the, the just being worried and, and, and other things that come with it. You know, once you're hypervigilant all the time, then you snap because you're just on edge. So I got to learn, you know, to put my, to put my family and my, my things in perspective and, and, and make a list of things that I wanted to do. I learned about the Pentagon of performance. You know, I, I learned about Jay's five, five things that he focuses on that will help you, will help you in life. And I started doing these things and I, I set these goals and I, I came back from that two week Academy, uh, another changed individual, another changed man. And, now I had this this fire in me that that was that wanted to that wanted to give what I, you know what was in my brain to other to other individuals and 
you know, some of my goals were to go back to college, which I did. I started college, you know, last January of 2019. I've been in school now for a year. I'm studying psychology. I, I really want to learn more about the human brain and, and, and how it works and how we can, you know, recondition it or help it go back to possibly the best way. I don't know. I don't want to say the former version of it because like you don't, you don't lose these, these memories. You don't lose the, the things you go through, you know? So I guess how to be, make a better version of yourself, but before including the prior trauma version of yourself, because what I end up learning is, you know, you go through trauma and it's almost like that individual dies sometimes in that trauma. And that's where, you know, my family struggles with it. Sometimes I tell them, you know, I'm like, I know I I'm perfectly fine, healthy and not, I really didn't get wounded over there, but I died over there. I, I came back different. I came back and it's hard to explain that. So, you know, that's, that's our, that's our whole goal with this podcast are, I'm so excited to be, to be finally, you know, putting this out there in the air and, and for, for, for everybody to listen. And I really do hope that we can be a, a crucial, crucial part of rewiring your brain to survive and thrive. Because if you allow yourself to, how, how Jay says, sit on the X and the X is that spot where you just got ambushed. And when life ambushes you, if you sit on that spot, it's just going to be a struggle from here on out. And eventually you're going to want to end it. And, you know, I tell everybody that once you end it, once, once you end your life, you're not going to come back. I know it sounds stupid that you got to tell somebody that, but it's the reality. Once you, once you given up hope, that is pretty much ending your life. And it's hard. It's hard to come back from that. So don't give up hope. Don't don't give up on life. Um, don't give up on trying to survive because it's possible. You can do it. And 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 hopefully with this show, we're we're gonna help you. We're gonna help you on uh on the physical aspect side of it. I'm gonna have doctors on here, nutrition doctors, I'm gonna have physical trainers on here, personal physical trainers. We're gonna have, like I said, uh former Marines, former Airmen, former Navy SEALs, former soldiers. We're going to have firefighters. We're going to have police officers. We're going to have um, individuals that have hit rock bottom because of opioid uh, uh, addiction and have turned themselves around and, you know, are now making movies about that. So I'm super excited. I'm super excited of what the future has. I'm super excited about this podcast and, um, I, all I could say is uh, stay tuned, ladies and gentlemen, because we are really, really going to deep dive into individuals' brains and uh, hopefully give you some of those qualities that they have so that you can go ahead and use them in your life. So stay tuned. And uh, as for right now, episode one is over. Episode two should be coming up real soon. Thank you. Thanks so much for tuning into this episode of the Post Traumatic Survival Podcast. We sure do appreciate it. If you haven't done so already, make sure you're subscribed to the show wherever you consume podcasts. This way you'll receive notifications from us as new episodes become available. If you feel so inclined, please leave us a review 
we certainly appreciate it. And don't forget to tell your friends about the show. We appreciate you and them. Until next time, survivors.